I learned a new word this morning, meganormous. <laughs> meganormous. Hey, we're going to be in Genesis 28 this morning, if you want to follow along. Uh, there's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Uh, we had a birthday in our house this past week. Uh, one of our daughters turned another year older, and uh, so it's always interesting to reflect on life and uh, parenting. Uh, as I was reflecting on it, I found this very interesting to think about, that uh, Whatever you do vocationally, there's usually some training involved, right? So even if it's flipping hamburgers, like you have to have some training to flip hamburgers. But for really important things like being a doctor, you have to go to school for years and years. Uh, but when you have a baby, they just they kind of give it to you and say, good luck. You know, you're at the hospital, baby's born, good luck. There's no years of training for that. Uh, isn't that interesting? Like, uh, no training for marriage, for family. I find that interesting. Apparently you don't. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, Genesis 28, we're going to look at a guy named Jacob this morning. Uh, you may recall last summer, we looked at the, the life and story of Joseph. Uh, Jacob is Joseph's dad. And if you recall, this family has some issues. They're a little bit messed up. Um, So we've been going on this journey of discovering what does it look like to become whole, to become whole in Christ. And we we started by talking about this idea of being fully present, uh, that, that Jesus says, pay attention to what God is doing right now. What, what does it look like in the midst of a life of distractions, where so many things are vying for our attention, all these images, all these advertisements, all these devices vying for our attention. What does it look like to be fully present in the now? And then last week, we looked at this idea of powerlessness, that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we admit that we are powerless, only then can we enter this journey of becoming whole in Christ when we admit that we are powerless. And we looked at this text in Romans 7 where, where Paul is having this internal struggle with himself. I, I keep doing what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. And he, he's struggling back and forth with, with the false self and propping up the false self and trying to make a better false self uh, when God is inviting us to allow the true self created in Christ Jesus to emerge and be led by the Spirit and live a life led by the Spirit. And, and, and Paul has come to the end of himself saying, I keep doing what I don't want to do and what I want to do I don't do. And he, he ends Romans 7 by saying, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this false self? Who will rescue me? He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he launches into Romans 8, which is some of the most amazing Pauline writing we have, in my opinion. And Paul starts Romans 8 by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, when you're wrestling, when you're having this internal wrestling match with the false self and keep doing what you don't want to do, he said the worst thing to do 
would be to then live in self-blame and shame and self-condemnation. Because when you go that route, you're just living into another version of the false self rather than embracing what God promises, which is there is no condemnation. None. Zip. Zero. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul has come to the end of himself. He's recognized that he's powerless over whatever this is, this addiction, this attachment, this sin pattern in his life. And he says, who will rescue me? And we, when we look at the story of Jacob, we find a man who is powerless, a man who's come to the end of himself. You see, in this story so far, you have uh, Isaac, who is Jacob's dad, and Isaac has a favorite son, Esau. And in the ancient Near East, uh, the firstborn always gets the birthright and the blessing and the inheritance from the father. And uh, Esau and Jacob are twins, but Esau was born first with Jacob grasping at his heel to come out. And so uh, Esau is in line to get the blessing, to get the inheritance. Uh, But Jacob is his mom's favorite. And Jacob has already gotten the birthright, and now he's scheming with his mom on how to get the blessing, to get the inheritance as well. And they scheme, and it works. And Jacob gets his father's blessing. And now Esau hates Jacob and wants to kill him. So we have a dad who's playing favorites. We have a mom who's playing favorites. We have a brother who hates and wants to kill. We have another brother who's a liar, a cheat, and a schemer. Great family dynamics. (laughs) And so Jacob is on the run. He's on the run because Esau wants to kill him. This liar, this cheat, this schemer, this fugitive is on the run And he is alone. He recognizes he does not have control. He is powerless over what's going on. And he is on the run to get away from his brother who wants to kill him. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 10 of Genesis 28. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Now, Haran is an area of just kind of wilderness with a bunch of rocks in it. And Jacob is on this journey from Beersheba to Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And so uh, just imagine this field of rocks, and the sun's been beating on these rocks all day, and so there's heat inside of these rocks. And Jacob finds one and decides, I'm going to use this for a pillow. And so he sets this rock down, puts his head on that nice rock, and goes to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending. On it. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is the same blessing, by the way, that God had given to Abraham. I will bless you to be a blessing to all nations. This is the way God works. When he blesses us, it isn't just for our own sakes. It's always for the sake of the other. God blesses us to be a blessing. That which is given to us, we give back to God for the sake of the world. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so there's this stairway to heaven that Jacob sees in his dreams with angels ascending and descending on it. God is showing Jacob that heaven is not removed and disconnected from earth, that they are connected, heaven and earth connected. In fact, Jesus says something very interesting In the book of John, we talked about this several months ago. If I can have the next slide. Jesus says, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm the stairway. I'm the connection. I'm the one who connects heaven and earth. And Jesus comes to earth fully God, fully man, comes among us to bring heaven to earth. He says, I'm bringing heaven to earth. And then when he is ascending, he says, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to send something. And, and 40 days later, what happens? The Spirit of God comes amongst God's people. We possess God's Spirit. What are we now? We are containers of the Spirit of God. We are ones who connect heaven and earth. We are ones who embody the living Christ and have the opportunity to bring heaven to earth. We're blessed to be a blessing. We get to bring heaven to earth for the sake of the world. And so this ladder exists in in, uh, Jacob's dream, and, and he sees God and God speaks to him. And God gives him this promise. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back. Uh, God gives Jacob three promises here. He gives him the promise that he's with him, that he'll watch over him, and that he'll bring him back. I want to explore these for a moment. The first, I'm calling the promise of presence. I'm with you. The promise of presence. God says, I am here. I am here. I am with you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, God says, I am with you. I am with you. I am present to you 
right here, right now. See, I, I think we often go through life and we break our lives into different categories. And uh, we, we have our experience at church, but then we go back out into the world and, and don't necessarily, in practice, believe that God is with us. And Jacob is waking up to this idea that wherever he finds himself, which right now is in a barren wilderness full of rocks, wherever he finds himself, God is there with him. God is present to him. This is the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples in the book of Matthew. If I can have the next slide. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I I am with you. I am with you. So that situation going on at home with that child or with your spouse or whatever, God said, I am with you. I am with you. Uh, That situation at work where uh, that employee is just grinding on you, or that coworker you can't stand, or, or that boss who just has it out for you. Uh, I am with you. I am with you. Or uh, whatever issue you might be dealing with, like Paul struggling, I, I keep doing what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, what, whatever it is, whatever sin issue, whatever addiction, whatever attachment, in that, God says, I am with you. And if you think for a moment that because of something you've done, that God is not with you, I encourage you to just read through the scriptures and look at the types of people that God is with. Murderers, adulterers, liars, cheats. God's with them. Jacob has just lied to his father. He's used the name of the Lord to lie to his father. He's stolen the birthright and the blessing. He's schemed. And he's now on the run, and he's alone, and he's powerless, and God shows up and says, I'm here. I am still here, and I'm not going away. I'm present to you. And at the end of Romans 8, uh, Paul closes that chapter with just as equally powerfully as he begins it. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from this God who says, I am present. I am with you. I am here. Nothing can separate us from his love. It it doesn't matter what it is. And in fact, David in Psalm 139 says this, 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Not head, hand. Uh, God is a God who is present, who says, I am here. And there is no place you can go that I won't be present to you. God says, I am here. I am here. So there's a promise of presence. There's also the promise of protection. I will watch over you. I will be with you, and I will watch over you. God promises protection. I was... uh, at Whole Foods, eating outside in the eating court, whatever you call it, this past week. And um, I've, uh, I've been doing this detox diet. I do it every year during Lent. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, dude, you're the most detoxed person I know. What do you need to detox for? And I told my wife he said this, and she looked at me, and she goes, he's right. Why are you detoxing? You, you eat like a bird. Speaking of birds, I saw this bird at... <laughs> Whole Foods, and uh, you can't really see it quite well, but there was a number of birds at Whole Foods, and all these birds had three toes going straight out and one toe going back, except this bird. Its, uh, its feet were like this, no toes. It was just like this, bouncing around. And uh, I thought about this promise of protection, uh, and, and Jesus says, consider the birds of the air. Does not your heavenly Father care for them? How much more will he not care for you? Why do you worry about tomorrow? Why do you worry about what you will eat or what you will drink? Look at the birds. And here's this bird, this handicapped bird at Whole Foods. And it has figured out, I can eat crumbs from the table and I can drink out of the doggy bowl. And I'm just fine. I'm just fine. I have food to eat. I have water to drink. And I'm just fine. Uh, God watches over us. God protects us. I'm with you. God is a God of presence. I will watch over you. God is a God of protection. God is a God who is present in our lives. Now, now protection does not mean... uh, no pain, right? We talked last week about how pain is often the doorway to wholeness. That, that through pain, we experience wholeness. You see, uh, religious people who live by a set of rules and regulations and, and who try to control their own life and thereby try to control God and, and try to write their own destiny are often living in fear of what real life could be like. Uh, Religious people living out of this false self are living in fear of hell, whereas people on the path to wholeness are people who have lived through hell. They already know what hell is like, and they desire to experience the wholeness that Jesus came 
to offer us. You see, when we recognize that pain is the doorway to wholeness, we're willing to walk through it because we recognize we're not alone. That Christ has come before us and walked through the doorway to pain and come out the other side. And he invites us to join him, to go through that doorway, to come out the other side and better for it. God is a God who is present. God is a God who protects even in the midst of pain and hardship and heartache. And God is a God who promises place. I am with you. I'll watch over you. I will bring you back. God promises a place. Uh, The author of Friedrich Buechner writes this uh, beautiful little book called Longing for Home. And, And it's really talking about the journey of wholeness, that what we all long for, the place we long for, the, a place to belong is the place of wholeness in Christ, and that he invites us on this journey. In a culture of displacement, God promises place. He promises that we can be on this journey to experience home in him. Experience the health and wholeness Jesus came to offer us. But it's a journey, isn't it? He says, I will bring you back. But it's a journey. Jacob is on a journey. He doesn't get back for about 20 years. He's on this journey. But God promises, I will bring you Eventually, Jacob is waking up to this reality and this promise that God offers us. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. See, Jacob is waking up to the fact that even though he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a schemer, he's a fugitive, God is there. God is there with him. And God is present to him no matter what. He wakes up and he says, surely God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Surely God was here. How awesome is this place? This is surely the house of God. And what we come to realize when we realize that God is present to us in barren, rocky places like Haran is that God is present to us wherever we go. That this place we're in this morning, some might call it the house of God. And sure, it's the house of God. But when we walk out those doors this morning, where are we? We're in the house of God. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The whole thing is the house of God. Wherever we find ourselves, we're in God's house. We're in God's house. When we go to the beach, we're in 
God's house. Surely God is in this place. When we go to the headlands, surely God is in this place. When we go home, surely God is in this place. When we go to work, surely God is in this place. Wherever we go, we're in God's house. The God who promises to be present, to protect, and gives us a place. The whole earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Surely, God is here. Surely, God is present to us wherever we are, finding the sacred in the midst of the common, the mundane. Uh, The author, Wendell Berry, says there are no unsacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places. Why do we even care about the earth? Because it's God's house. It's God's house. If you house it for someone, do you destroy it or do you take care of it? We are house-sitting for God. And he entrusts his house to us. Surely, God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. We care for the earth because it's God's house. Amidst a whole lot of other reasons, right? But it's God's house, and it reveals who God is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The creation screams about the handiwork of God. There are no unsacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places. The earth is God's house. It's his sacred universe that he has entrusted to us. And Jacob is waking up to this reality. This is God's house. Surely God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means house of God though the city used to be called Luz. So Jacob takes this stone and he sets it up, kind of like an altar. Stone pillar, he sets it up. He says, surely God was in this place. Uh, How many of you have climbed a mountain or gone someplace and you've seen what in Ireland they call cairns? These rock formations. Three of us, okay. Okay, there we go. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they, have, they build them at Christie Field, right? If I can have the next slide, see? Right there. Um, and then the next slide is another example. So the, people mark places uh, that, for whatever reason, for them, they, they've found some importance in or, or uh, uh, it, it's a sacred place for them, and, and it's important to them. And this is what Jacob does. He stands up this rock as a reminder, as a marker 
this standing stone. We see the people of Israel do this all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. They set up, the, they erect these standing stones as a marker to remind themselves. Surely, God was in this place. God has been with us all along, and let's make sure we remember that he has been with us all along. God is present. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. So Jacob is basically repeating the promise of God. If God will be with me and if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Notice Jacob's interpretation of protection. It's not lots of money. It's not big houses. It's not uh, you know, massive swaths of land. It's food and clothing. If God will just give me that, if he'll give me food and clothing and return me safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Uh, notice for Jacob, even though he's had this vision, this dream, this experience of God, he still has an if-then relationship with God. It's still, okay, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. We're all on the journey, aren't we? I don't think any one of us has come to the destination. We're all on the journey. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house And all that you give me, I will give to you a tenth. This is where we get the idea of giving back to God from what he's given to us. Jacob says, you bless me, I'm going to give back to you, God. And so Jacob says, okay, God, let's make a deal. If you do these things that you promise, then you will be my God. And I will give back to you out of what you've given to me. Surely, God is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Jacob is waking up to the reality of God's presence all around him, wherever he is. See, God promises his presence In the midst of our powerlessness, he promises protection in our poverty, and he promises place in a world of displacement. When we would pursue and desire power, profit, and prestige, he offers presence, protection, and place. Surely, God is here. Uh, the author, Barbara Brown Taylor, has, uh, says this amazing thing about this idea of erecting standing stones. She said, earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. She says, wherever we go, oh, there's God, oh, there's God, oh. There's God. Oop, there's God. We should have these standing stones all over the place. She says, it's a wonder we don't crack our shins on altars all the time because surely God is in this place. And I was unaware. 
The whole earth is God's house. And he is present to his people in the midst of our powerlessness. He protects us in the midst of our poverty. He gives us place in the midst of our displacement. Surely, God is in this place. And I, I did not know it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of presence. That you are a God who can restore us to a place of being whole in you. I pray, God, that as we wake up to your presence in our lives, that you would give us the capacity to pay attention and to see you are everywhere. And that your very spirit, you have given us the very gift of your spirit that lives within us. That your very presence is within us and within others. May, you, may we see your presence in us and in others. And God, may you use us to be a blessing to the world. May we wake up and know that you're in this place, and you're in that place, and you're in that place. You're in our homes, you're in our workplaces, you're in the marketplace, you're at the farmer's market, the grocery store, wherever we find ourselves. You are there. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.